0: Hello everyone, welcome back to our IT time, because it's time to talk about tech. I'm Zoe, and together with my co-host Kelly, we have a very exciting interview ahead of us.
1: Hi Zoe, yes, we absolutely do. With us today, we have Alison Grealis, founder and president of Women in Manufacturing. Now, many people might not consider manufacturing when thinking about tech, but I beg to differ. Manufacturing is becoming more and more reliant on technology, and the companies that are on the cutting edge are seeing the benefits and advantages of improving their manufacturing technologies. Uh, So, with that said, welcome, Allison. Would you please give us a short introduction of yourself for those of our listeners who do not know you?
2: Sure, I'm happy to, and thanks for having me. My name is Allison Grayless. I'm the founder and president of the Women in Manufacturing Association and Education Foundation. So I lead our National Trade Association, which has grown globally and internationally over the past few years. And our organization present day is connected to 12,000 plus individual members. Um, We're connected to 2,000 plus unique manufacturing companies. And we power our chapters, to which we have 30 throughout the United States. And we presently have members in 48 states and 40 countries, So our organization is the only of its kind that we know of globally that works year-round to support, promote, and inspire women in manufacturing
0: careers. That's really impressive. 12,000 individuals. I think you also only started about 10 years ago, right? That must have grown exponentially. (laughs) And uh, Kelly, you also have a manufacturing background as well, right?
1: Why? Yes, I do. I got my start in dynamics, which is what I do now dynamics implementations in a manufacturing environment. The company that I worked for produced peanut butter and jelly and we had a very strong female presence with many women in key roles. In fact, our female plant manager is how I learned about the Women in Manufacturing Trade Association. She signed us up for a corporate membership and I was completely hooked. Even after I left, I maintained a personal membership and now AVS, my current company has a corporate membership. So, Allison, from one female manufacturing professional to another, what inspired you to start Women in Manufacturing?
2: So I, uh, you know, I directly am not a woman in manufacturing. I alternatively had been an individual who was connected to public administration. So in college, I was an English pre-law women's studies major. I knew I wanted to do something that was public service oriented or connected to kind of rallying individuals around mission-oriented work. So when I was on campus in my undergrad, I was probably um, more active in uh, extracurriculars and organizations than I was in academics. So um, I did fine academically, but I was really most driven by being involved on campus in groups and organizations that were working around a common cause to kind of change things for the better. And I know that sounds really idyllic, um, but that's really what motivated me. So rather than going to law school after college, I alternatively went to work for a not-for-profit called the Public Interest Research Group in Massachusetts and um, loved it because I got to work on good government issues and we worked on green issues and I got to work on campuses and rally campus individuals around common causes. And so after that year's stint in Boston, I then decided to go back to grad school, got a master's in public administration. And um, after my two year um, pursuit of that and graduation, I found the opportunity to work with a trade association and I did not know much about trade associations, um, but it was a manufacturing trade association. It was focused on metal forming processes. So stamping, fabricating, forming, tool and dye, um, all of these kind of very important industries that power much of what we all consume each day in terms of products and services. And in working with that trade association, I likewise got to work with their members to accomplish great things, to help metal forming companies at that period of time to be more profitable and competitive and had the great opportunity to work with small to midsize privately held leaders, many of which were um, becoming uh, to be led, these companies to be led by females. And so in working with these female individuals, they had an interest to connect. So to connect with one another, to benchmark, to feel supported, to exchange ideas, So we created some opportunities for them through meetings to to exchange and to share and to meet one another. And when I was doing research on what national resources could I tap into, found surprisingly that there wasn't one. So created at the time what was intended to be a conference of women in industry or women in manufacturing. And um, we held that first conference. We're now celebrating our 13th year of holding that event, which we called the summit. And at that first event, we heard very strongly from people like, how do I join how do I become part of this great organization? I wish this group had been around since when I first started my career. And from there, um, I quickly went back to office, created a business plan, um, created kind of opportunities for membership and affiliation. And um, over the past 10 years, have grown to, again, represent a large community of people at all levels of manufacturing
0: um, all over the globe. That's really impressive. <laughs> so, um Talking about these female individuals that join for the summit or meetings, um, I read the other day that, um, or in the US Department of Commerce, that women only make up around 30% of the 15.8 million people employed in manufacturing, and only one in four manufacturing leaders are women. So what do manufacturers need to do to increase the number of women in the industry? Yeah. So,
2: you know, sadly, the the statistic hasn't changed that dramatically since we started our work. When we first began as an organization, you know, the percentage was around 27%. So we've grown a modest 3% over the last decade um, in terms of representation. Um, You know, our organization cares about getting to equity or having, you know, 50% ideally of the manufacturing workforce to be females, but equally, if maybe not even more important um, to us, and we think to changing kind of manufacturing companies for the better is to get more women in leadership. So not only to have that 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 raw number of women in filling manufacturing positions, to have more women in leadership positions, whereby they can change policies and cultures, and also inspire future generations to say, "Wow, I can rise to that level in my career and in this industry." So when you look at companies and how they can be successful in attracting and retaining and advancing women you know, there's some some things that we've seen historically that have really worked well to that respect. So, you know, having programs or an infrastructure that you can support diverse individuals through the creation of affinity groups or ERG groups, as they're often called employee resource groups, so that people can connect with others like them at their organization. Um, Often we linkage a lot with women's ERG groups who obviously are focused on retaining and advancing and supporting their female talent. Um, I think as well, looking at you know how can manufacturing companies become more progressive and adapt to these demands of I think the majority of the workforce, which center around flexibility and having that opportunity to have you know unique working arrangements, to have the ability to um, you know be potentially a parent and as well a professional. So manufacturing companies, I think, have have been forced because of pandemic to have to kind of to jump forward and to adopt some new work practices and policies. But I think the quicker that we can address flexibility, the better. We know that there's you know, more than half a million open manufacturing positions. And one of the opportunities to fill those is to meet the requirements and needs of that potential workforce. And we know when we've done research, which we did uh, most recently in the fall of 2021 with Thomas, um, a zometry company, you know, the thing that was cited most important by the, the workforce of present day and the future is flexibility. So I think adopting work, workforce flex, flexibility and policies as best you can. Um, I think having infrastructure and support networks such as women's ERG is critically important. And then I think as well, you know, providing women the opportunity to have access to professional development, training, mentoring, all of those things are critically important to both retain women um, as well as to help them advance.
0: So um, you would say that if you have um, more female leaders that can basically trickle down on the workforce, right? That's one, uh, yeah, research also that shows that 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 can happen. (laughs) Very interesting. I wrote my master thesis on it. I love this topic. (laughs) And um, then if you look at the lower levels, um, you would say that we need more unique working environment and more flexibility for the workers. And do you personally feel that that way you could um, attract more women and minorities to retain in the industry?
2: Definitely. I mean, I think if you look at one of our focuses has been around empowering women in production, Because we see that, especially those women in production, um, their retention rates aren't too positive sometimes, that often, you know, you lose women who are at that first point of entry into manufacturing because of challenges with things like childcare, transportation, um, you know, unique scheduling needs. So I think if we can figure out how to make, um, you know, work attainable by all and as well to work for individuals' personalized schedules, the better. And so I've heard of manufacturing companies that are providing transportation, that have created new work schedules and shifts that allow someone, for example, to be a parent and to do drop off at school and pick up of school after school um, to allow them to work unique schedule where they can still be highly productive. They can be contributing, they can be supporting their family and then as well filling a gap that a manufacturing company has. So I, I think all of those things will help us improve the number of women manufacturing that decrease ideally the number of open manufacturing positions and also create manufacturing companies that are better places to work.
1: So I want to circle back to something you said earlier, when you talked about manufacturers having to be forced to change as part of the pandemic. At the beginning of the pandemic, I attended a few webinars and online meetings focusing on how the manufacturing industry has had to change to become more innovative, to stay relevant. And and most of those were through WIM. Um, So can you speak a little bit to the changes that you've seen in manufacturing as a result of the pandemic over the last couple of years? I know you've you've kind of touched on that, but have companies been able to adapt? I know they have strong attendance policies in manufacturing. And um, have you seen that there's been a lot more flexibility? Has it been able to work?
2: It definitely has. I, I mean, I think, you know, again, I've been working with manufacturing trade associations now for more than 20 years, and I, I recall back to early plant tours I did when I was in my 20s and early 30s age-wise, and it was often conversed about that manufacturing couldn't be flexible, that that unique shifts couldn't be created, that, you know, manufacturing had to run 24-7 We can't disrupt our line or our production to allow for people to come and go as they see fit or to have these flexible schedules. Pandemic was, to me, again, one of those positive outcomes. There were lots of horribly um, catastrophic and negative outcomes of pandemic, and many people and families were impacted. But one of those positive things that came out of pandemic, as I know many conversations have been had around, is that it did force companies that thought that they could not be flexible, that they could not be innovative as it related to talent, to, to do so that they, they realized that, hey, we can produce parts and components and we can make things even if people aren't physically in an administrative office or if they aren't physically at that site. Now, granted, there are more restrictions as you look at kind of the hourly workforce and those that are in positions that are connected directly to machinery. But for many others, there's flexibility. And we saw companies even address how to offer flexibility to those at the hourly ranks and those in production. So it can be done. Manufacturers have proven it can be done. And I think my biggest um, hope is that things don't retro retrograde, that we don't have people um, and companies um, take that progress that they've made over the last few years to attract a new pipeline of talent. And I'm hoping things don't go back to the way they were and that companies say, you must be in office, you must um, be at, at these certain shifts and schedules, because I think um, we, we've shown that manufacturers could be even more productive during a period of disruption these past two years um, because of, you know, adaptation to new policies, adaptation and adoption of new technologies. I mean, if you look at the automation tools and the technology and information tools that were adopted and that were used by companies to have real time reporting on machines from the convenience of their own home on a device or looking at communication tools or you know tools that they use with their suppliers and with their customers. Um, there was lots of adaptation and I'm hoping that we continue to adapt to make our jobs and our positions even more attractive and accessible to other individuals.
1: You know, I think that makes a lot of sense. And one of those challenges that we talked about and that you you expanded on a little bit here was the growth of technology within manufacturing. And just this last couple of years, we have seen an explosion in the growth of technology and the use of um, machine learning, artificial intelligence, augmented virtual reality, 3D printing, implementing robotics, IoT, using data for predictive maintenance, but also on top of that, having the ability for remote workers to be able to log into perhaps like like a virtual reality situation and help somebody fix a machine. Um, So, what have you seen really that works for women or really anyone to keep up with these changes? Because it's fast. It's been really
0: fast.
2: Yeah, there's a lot out there. And I think one of the the biggest cautions I would throw a company's way is to, to really figure out what, what solutions your company needs um, and and at what stages and then how, how are these solutions going to be used? So I've seen some companies adapt really quickly to lots of solutions for whether it be um, you know, troubleshooting for production for lots of different functions of their business. And then sometimes some of those solutions that they invested in, both through the kind of capital as well as the, the people power to get these things implemented and adopted, um, sometimes they weren't, weren't best fit, but they weren't really going to be utilized in the way that they thought they were. So I think due diligence is hugely important. Figuring out how is this going to improve your operations, improve your employee satisfaction, retention, um, advancement techniques and tools, um, but really uh, evaluating the, those tools and technologies see how does that advance your business? What is what is your return on investment for some of these investments? Um, but I've seen it work really well. I mean, a lot of companies are adapting to, to using uh, virtual reality for training. It's it's really cool. I've participated in it. I was able to fix things and troubleshoot problem areas. Um, it's a great tool for training. It's a great tool for I'm guiding people through work instructions. Um, you know, I've seen companies using Google Glass for that purpose, you know, to help people on the line go through each of their steps and kind of advancing in their steps that they need to accomplish to get, you know, their component or part to the next space in that assembly line. So there's lots of great solutions, um, but there's tons out there. And so, you know, ideally having a chief in, in information officer or technology officer or someone in your company who is that right person in the right seat to make those decisions about. What technology solutions are right for your company and your needs is really important because just to go out randomly and make some investments, um, you know, without that, that kind of full plan of implementation usage um, and necessity is is really um, important.
1: I absolutely agree. Could not agree more. Um... So many people skip that analysis phase. I think that it's important to really make sure that that is what is going to work for your organization. Definitely do some trial runs. But yeah, um, that was really great. Thank you so much for sharing all of that information.
0: Yeah, really interesting for me as well. And if it's okay, I would like to shift the attention a bit more towards your own organization and away from the industry, because I'm sure that's what our listeners are very interested in and the women in manufacturing group which is uh, available online if people want to check it out um, serves as a global trade association as you said right for women who have chosen a career in manufacturing and um, just I'm sure our listeners are very interested in in what other benefits are available for the members of the women in manufacturing organization
2: Yeah. So we are a year-round trade association. We are inclusive of women and men at all levels and positions within manufacturing. Um, We know men are very important allies in our journey to help more women rise in manufacturing leadership, as well as um, to find a career in manufacturing. So, and we're inclusive of all all levels and, and titles and positions of manufacturing year round. We offer resources that connect to professional development tools and um, information for individuals if they'd like to advance in their career. Um, we've got a virtual learning library that hosts now more than 100 hours that people can tap into on demand for learning on a variety of different professional development topics, as well as technology topics. So that is all complementary within a membership for Women in Manufacturing Association, which is very, we believe, very modestly priced Um, for individuals to make that investment. And then as well, we do live learning each month. So we have um, live sessions that are held called virtual learning sessions. And it's part of a series that is again, complementary to our members. Uh, We also have formal education programs for um, those in production called Empowering Women in Production. We have a middle management development program. And then we have executive level development programs. So again, all with the aim to help connect women to those right resources and tools as they're working to grow in their career. And then likewise for companies, we have many resources as it relates to uh, recruitment of individuals to industry. So we power virtual career fairs twice annually, and the next one is coming up in May. Then we have one in December. That's where a company, a manufacturing company, can purchase a virtual booth and meet with job seekers and candidates. And then we also, um, as well for our recruitment resources power job board called WimWorks, where people can uh, year-round search for talent as well as search for opportunities on the job-seeking side. We also have chapters, as we mentioned. So we have 30 chapters throughout the United States. We're doing our first international event in Stuttgart, Germany, this um, October, which we're really excited about. I'll be traveling there, plus um, one of our sponsors and board members with um, a firm, Robinson Cole. But we'll be in Stuttgart. We've got a small advisory group of, of passionate uh, members who are helping us a- execute this first event. But we're hoping to, to start this movement of you know, not yet a creation of a chapter, but rather some events internationally to connect women to our resources and to start creating local access to resources if they don't exist to things like we've been producing here in the United States. So our chapters last year produced more than 200 programs between virtual and live. And so um, we hope that volume of programs continues as
1: well as again, our reach to, to other places. Information about women in manufacturing and Membership levels can be found online at www.womeninmanufacturing.org.
2: I just touched upon a few of our resources. We have many more resources people can tap into. And then we obviously have corporate membership as well. So we have now 250 plus corporate members of WIM, which are a mix of manufacturing companies as well as solution provider or service industry companies. So we would encourage companies to think about that as well because one of the benefits of corporate membership is that it's unlimited individual membership. So if a company joins here, for example, even in the US, um, present day, those people affiliated with their company in any
0: facility can have a personal affiliation and membership with Wynn. I actually just read on LinkedIn this morning that Microsoft joined your organization, right? I think, yes, two hours ago, (laughs) I got a notification. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, thank you so much, Alison. I think I speak for Kelly and myself when I say that um, I really took took some val- valuable insights away and I f- find, your, found, find your accomplishments very inspirational. So before we finish this episode, you might have guessed, um, I need to ask you what your favorite tea is. So my favorite tea, if I'm
2: drinking tea, um, would be Earl Grey or chai tea. And then um, primarily I'm a coffee drinker, but I do like tea too.
0: I've ate that answer was coffee from a few Americans now. I think uh, <laughs> that's a standard answer.
2: <laughs> yeah, coffee is probably predominant, but if I go to Starbucks present day, I always get the chai tea latte. Um, so I think I've moved to, to being probably equal parts tea and coffee.
0: That's great. I get that. I'm a coffee drinker myself. <laughs> and uh, perfect. Thank you very much. Thank you. And of course, I would also like to thank our listeners for being here with our fourth episode of IT Time, because it was time to talk about tech. I hope you enjoyed listening to our conversation and meeting Alison as much as we did. And in our next episode, you get to meet the director of Psychometrics at Microsoft. She's driving innovation in the assessment process through the power of technology. And I think that episode is going to be very interesting as well. Again, If there are any individuals you would like us to talk to or topics you would like us to talk about, reach out to us and we will see what we can do. Until then, take care.